everyone, welcome to another edition of my Two Cents Podcast Review, where I am here to review the SummerSlam 2023 pay-per-view or premium live event that just happened. Um, I just got done watching it, and I want to say this was a great pay-per-view, and lately WWE have been hitting it out of the parks with their pay-per-views. You had WrestleMania, which was a solid pay-per-view. You had Elimination Chamber, solid pay-per-view. Uh, Royal Rumble, solid pay-per-view. All the pay-per-views that WWE has had this past year so far, since we're in the eighth month of the year, each one has been solid. I mean, it's not anything that you can gripe about. I mean, each one have had uh, excellent moments because the overarching theme of each pay-per-view is literally the bloodline, but you also got your little uh, side arc characters and storylines that's going along in each pay-per-view, but we all know what each pay-per-view really overarching feature is and it's the bloodline storyline in this pay-per-view here this will continue the storyline of the disintegration that's happening within the bloodline because two pay-per-views ago you had jimmy uh super kicking roman reigns in the face at i believe it was night of champions last pay-per-view you had jimmy and jay beating roman and solo and you had jay getting his uh win over roman in that would be the first person beating Roman in over, like, four years, three in about a half years. And now this pay-per-view is set up for Jay to go against Roman Reigns for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, as well as the title of Head of the Table for their family. So that's the big overarching story for SummerSlam, but you will have other stories sprinkled in as well. So before I get into the big overarching story, let's tackle in some of those storylines that's underneath it. So the starters off would be Ricochet going against Logan Paul. Logan Paul won the match by pinfall thanks to one of his buddies popping out of nowhere to hand him brass knuckles after Ricochet would miss a 630 centon. Logan would knock Ricochet out with the punch that had the knuckles on him and then cover him for the win. This was a great match to open up SummerSlam. As everyone knows that's been listening to this, I do not like Logan Paul as a person. I don't like him. But as a athletically, I gotta say, as an athletically gifted individual, especially in this profession of professional wrestling, Logan Paul, he has it. He has the ability to make people hate him. He has the ability to get uh, the business done in the ring. I think his mic skills can work get worked on but everything else he has what you would want in a wwe or even a professional wrestler he has it and i can't dispute that ricochet he has it he's been doing this for countless years i mean i think he's been doing this for 20 years so i mean he's a veteran at this point and they were just going completely athleticism going against athleticism uh you had Logan Paul pulling off some old school moves. He hit a rude uh, awakening on Ricochet off the apron. He even like taunted the fans. He hears them booing. He started doing the Hulk Hogan ears. He gives Ricochet a big boot and then a split legged uh, leg drop. And that was his remix on Hulk Hogan's leg drop that he did. Uh, Ricochet, he's no snooze. He would just start pulling off moves like the Benadriller, the detonation kick, 
uh, Moonsault. I mean, he just start going off on Logan Paul in this match. And Logan, he did his exact same thing. As a matter of fact, he hit a buckshot lariat from inside the ring to outside of the ring on Ricochet. And that's just nuts. So this, as I said, was a great opening match. Michael Cole, he, he is literally on the top of the Mount Rushmore of commentary. I think since last year, whenever he started getting that freedom to really start speaking his mind, at least on commentary, and even probably before then, when he was like with Pat McAvee, he's been just feeling more natural. He doesn't feel like old school Michael Cole. He feels really natural. He feels like he's locked into the product. He feels that he's actually in tune with the people of the internet, like the diehard wrestling community. It seems that Michael Cole's really tapped into it. And this, throughout the whole night, Michael Cole would just be hitting one-liners and zingers throughout the night. And at the end of the match, when Logan Paul cheated to win, Michael Cole would say, this was a great match, but the finish sucked. And that's how everybody felt because we don't want Logan Paul to win. Logan Paul is an outsider coming in, but we know that he is good. But you beat one of our guys who we want to see on television more, who we want to see get pushed more, and he loses to someone like you. But the thing for this is Ricochet, I feel that this should platform him into bigger moments because Ricochet was top-notch in this match with Logan Paul. They had a great match to open up a big pay-per-view like a SummerSlam. So hopefully this gives Ricochet something to do and puts him in more storylines so we get to see Ricochet in better positions going forward. But to add the cherry on top, at the end of the match, Logan Paul mentioned on Monday Night Raw how he was going to have Ricochet's girlfriend or fiance, excuse me, uh, say his name because Ricochet's fiance is the ring announcer so she had to say logan paul's name as the winner and you don't see her face being disgusted saying it but there was on social media you could see her there was a video locked in on her and you just see her with her lips quivering as she's watching ricochet get pinned and her times called for her to announce logan paul as the winner and you could just see her go and be professional about it and say Logan Paul's name. But then after it, you could just see the emotion just ringing off of her face of sad and disgust and just lip quivering. And Logan Paul being the douche that he is, he would just say, come on, say my name one more time. And she just wouldn't. And he's like, oh, OK, that's all right. So, again, Logan Paul, he's a douche. But, man, he has the making to be a top notch star in WWE if he plays his cards right, to be honest. Same thing with Ricochet. Top-notch talent, as usual, but I hope that he gets uh, more opportunities. Now, moving away from that, we would go to our quote-unquote one of our main events of the night, Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar. And before I get to that, I hate that title. I hate the mentioning of more than one main event. No, the main event is the match that's at the end of the show. I think you play that main event card with the talent when you do that crap backstage and you pay them main event money. That's when you guys say, okay, you guys are in a main event position because you're going to get main event money. You do that with them backstage. You don't insult your audience by saying this is one of the main events because that's no such thing. It isn't. The main event is literally the last match on the card. That's the main event. That's the main attraction. I hate how people try to play with someone's intelligence. I don't like it, but... That's just me. Anywho, getting 
Getting back to Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, Cody would win the match by pinfall using three crossroads to finish Brock Lesnar. And after the match, Cody would stand in the ring and watch as Brock uh, gets to his feet. Brock would take his gloves off and you would see Cody and Brock just look at one another. Brock would walk towards Cody, get in Cody's face and shake Cody's hand and hug him. Now, this match was Brock absolutely decimating Cody. And the whole story of this is if Cody is going to quit. If Cody had the willpower to continue pushing forward as Brock is being Brock. Brock is the beast. And Cody mentioned it, I want to say, when he was in Atlanta, Georgia a couple weeks ago on Raw. Everybody has their Brock Lesnar. Everybody has their uh, big obstacle that they have to go through. And Brock Lesnar is Cody's big obstacle here. And as Cody was constantly getting beat up by Brock, suplexed, suplexed, and Cody would roll out of the ring. And Cody wouldn't stand down. He would roll back into the ring, get suplexed again, roll out of the ring. Brock would even get to the point that he gets tired of this. He rolls out of the ring, hits Cody with an F5, gets back in the ring. He looks at Cody and just starts yelling at him, stay down. Brock doesn't even want to do this anymore because he finds this completely just nonsense. And Cody just wouldn't stay down. So Cody would constantly get in and to the point again, suplex, roll out. And again, Brock will leave the ring. Grab Cody up, hit him with an F5 through the commentary table, then roll back into the ring. And he just constantly is saying, stay down. And Cody's mom's in the audience, and Brock would look at her and say, tell your boy to stay down. Cody wouldn't listen to it, and he would just continue to go and push through till he got back in the ring and just start fighting with Brock and getting the willpower to ultimately beat the beast Brock Lesnar. Now, when I said after the match, Cody and Brock shook hands and hugged each other, Brock gave Cody like the stamp of approval to say, you earned my respect, you have conquered your beast, you can now pass along. So it seems this was one of Cody's hard times obstacles that he has to face before he actually goes after the championship that he wants, and it is still the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, or shortened the WWE Championship. Cody has mentioned in interviews, that's the belt that he wants. The World Heavyweight Championship is cool, but the WWE title is what he wants. That's the reason why he came back. That's his first dream. So this just looks like this is the perfect stamp of approval to say, yep, you can go about your business now. You can go about your way and go after that championship. So I think we're on the road for Cody to be challenging for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. At least that's why I think we're going. But Cody is still going after that WWE title one way or another. Now, moving on from this, we go to the Slim Jim Battle Royal. We would have LA Knight, your Miz, your Chad Gable. You had your Viking Raiders, Santos Escobar, Karrion Cross, uh, Grayson Waller, Shinsuke Nakamura, Tommaso Ciampa, and various other individuals in there. But the big return would be Omos. Omos really made his return to the ring. However, Omos wouldn't win this match. It would be the megastar, L.A. Knight. He would win the match by lastly eliminating Sheamus. The fans care for L.A. Knight. People care for L.A. Knight. WWE hopefully knows and see that people care for L.A. Knight. So hopefully this starts launching L.A. Knight into a bigger situation because WWE needs to pull the trigger when it is hot. You don't wait. 
You guys need to pull it. You guys were able to catch that lightning bolt when you had Daniel Bryan. You were able to catch that because the fans were ruthless. The fans were relentless with AO push Daniel Bryan when you had him in, I believe that was 2013 going into 2014. That's what Daniel Bryan was going after the main title. And you were able to get that like ground gamesmanship from the crowd and just it was a real organized fan organized chant for Daniel Bryan and I believe Daniel Bryan was WWE's only choice because well the crowd made them do it and we have seen the crowd swell for other individuals WWE just constantly shut it down they did it for Cesaro Cesaro seemed like he was going to get pushed then they killed that uh Dolph Ziggler at one point had the crowd participation behind him and then that got killed. Now we're off to LA Knight, a guy that has literally everything. The attitude era talking ability that uh people crave that they want to see. He has the look, he has the physique, he has everything to be a top star in WWE. They had to pull the trigger. So hopefully this battle royal moves him up and they do something with LA Knight now. A meaningful spot for LA Knight to be in. Now, next up was the MMA rules between Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. And the only way to win this match was by uh, submission or, I believe, referee stoppage. And Shayna won the match using the Coquina Clutch, or as they would like to say, the Carafuda Clutch, uh, making Ronda Rousey pass out. Now, this match was presented by, well, presented as a MMA match. However, there were no rounds in it. All of it was just one solid round. Uh, commentary did point out that in all of Ronda Rousey's career as an MMA fighter, she never touched gloves with her opponent before like the bell would ring. And she tried to do that here with Shayna, and Shayna didn't want to do it. Now, as I said, MMA in a WWE ring or a WWE environment, it doesn't really work that well. It doesn't really come off that well. I feel that this, this style of match would have worked well in Las Vegas. Because so Las Vegas has a history with the MMA community, have a history with UFC more specifically. And with WWE being purchased by Endeavor and MMA uh, giant UFC, WWE now under the Endeavor umbrella, I feel that they could have got a Dana White to kind of hype this matchup if they were in Las Vegas. I just feel that this was just perfect match, but at the wrong location with two MMA people. If they would have had this match in Vegas, I think the crowd in Vegas would have really invested in this. But since they had this match in Detroit, it didn't really translate that well to them and to the people uh, watching it on TV. But it is what it is. Ronda and Shayna, they did what they could do. And Shayna, she got the win over Ronda, which was needed because, as I said on my uh, predictions, Ronda, she isn't here. Ronda, like Logan Paul and Brock Lesnar, they're not here all the time. Shayna Baszler is here all the time. So Shayna Baszler uh, needs that rub. She needs the win so she can be pushed and elevated to another position. Because we all want Shayna Baszler to be pushed to another position. We want Shayna Baszler to be pushed like she was in NXT, this undestructible a monster that just broke bones and just did what she wanted. We want that on the main roster, and we haven't gotten that. So hopefully, 
this is the right path for because she beat the baddest woman on the planet, Ronda Rousey, in an MMA rules uh, match. So hopefully that's where we go next with Shayna being a uh, unstoppable woman. But again, we'll have to wait and see as the time will continue to go. Next up, the Intercontinental Championship match between Gunther going against Drew McIntyre. Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship by pinfall when Gunther was on the top turnbuckle. Drew would get on the top turnbuckle and Gunther would shove Drew off and Drew would land on the top ropes. This would make Drew land on the mat. Gunther would then hit a big splash, then pull Drew McIntyre up, hit a lariat, then follow it up quickly with the powerbomb to end Drew McIntyre. This was a great match completely from bell to bell. You knew what you were getting yourself into when you have Drew McIntyre and Gunther. This is their first time competing with each other one-on-one. In any promotion anywhere around the world, this is literally their first time competing with each other uh, just in a one-on-one fashion. And I did not know that. Again, commentary, Michael Cole, he will list that out. So as I said, Michael Cole's really getting into his like diehard wrestling bag here, and I appreciate that as a diehard wrestling guy. Um, Gunther, I like that he came out wearing William Regal colors so you knew what type of time you were on with Gunther. Gunther was going to put on a clinic, and he wanted to showcase that. And the reason why I make that a note was that the only person that has ever wore William Regal's, like, I want to say burgundy-style color of trunks and even shoes was Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, and you knew what type of time he was on. He was out there to show you that he was the best in the world, and he was going to make you have a great match with him, and that's what Gunther did with Drew McIntyre, and I'm not calling Drew McIntyre a slouch by any means necessary. Drew McIntyre is one of the great big men there in WWE. He can fly. He can move in the ring speed-wise. He can move in the ring uh, with strength, and if he wants to get technical with it, he can get technical too, and you were able to just get... Drew and Gunther just beat the holy piss out of each other, just chopping each other in their chest. And the funny thing is, Drew McIntyre, he didn't end up with, like, chest marks the same way that every other competitor that went against Gunther did. On the opposite end, Gunther, he had some uh, chest marks. And that was something to see because you can tell with Gunther having the chest marks, uh, Drew McIntyre was laying it in. Those two guys were just beating the piss out of each other. This was not on par with Sheamus and Gunther's match at Clash of the Castle. That match is above this one, but this one is not no slouch. These two guys were really throwing against each other. Uh, Gunther did hit Drew McIntyre with a powerbomb earlier, and Drew McIntyre did kick out of that. And that kind of had Gunther confused. You would see Drew hit Gunther with a powerbomb. I mean, these two guys, as I said before, throwing it all against one another. This was still a great clinic of a match. And I would say you would probably want to go back and watch this if you enjoy just two guys beating the piss out of one another. Now, moving on to the next match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Another one of their quote-unquote main events. Seth Rollins going against Finn Balor. And before I even get to the match, and who won, let me say this. Finn Balor, in his interest, he came out, he still wore his regular style clothing, but when he, like, took off one side of his jacket, he had seven written across 
the area where he got his, uh, I believe, shoulder meat reattached seven years ago after uh, he dislocated his shoulder. There it is. He dislocated his shoulder seven years ago, and he wrote seven on the scarring where they had to do surgery for because this was against the exact same opponent that did uh, make him dislocate his shoulder, Seth Rollins, at SummerSlam seven years ago. Now, when Finn is coming out, he shows the marking, cool, has seven written all over it. And now Seth's coming out. Seth's coming out in a pink, big, like, poofy thing or whatever. And underneath that, you are seeing Seth wearing a remix of his 2016 uh, attire that he wore when he injured Finn Balor. I mean, the entrance jacket was still the same. It was still the same uh, black and green jacket, but his pants had, like, the green on it with, like, pink. So it was a remix of his new character mixed in with his old character. So Finn had to see Seth play mind games with him. And even during the introductions, Seth would take the jacket off and throw it at Finn. So now you already are starting to play mind games with Finn. And Finn would get angry and you could just see him seething. He would attack Seth when Seth get his uh, introduction. And that's just how the match would start. Now, Seth would retain his championship by pinfall after Finn would use the coup de grace on Seth. And Seth would kick out. Finn will look at Damian Priest because Priest came down earlier in the match because he wanted to help out Finn. And Finn will look at Priest and tell him that he needed to use the Money in the Bank briefcase. Now, make this note. Priest tried to hand Finn the Money in the Bank briefcase earlier because Priest had the rest of the Judgment Day, Rhea and Dominic, come out to like distract the referee at one point, And he tried to give the briefcase to Finn and Finn was hard-headed. He says, we're not going with plan A, we're going with plan B. So, again, Priest tried to give him the briefcase earlier in the match. Now Finn, whenever he already shot his shot at Seth and Seth kicked out of it, he's now trying to go back to that plan and say, hand me the briefcase. And now Priest has a dissatisfied look on his face. He will leave his briefcase on the mat go to the other side of the ring, get on the apron to distract the referee, and he's allowing Finn to get the briefcase so he can use it. Now, as Damian Priest is doing this, Finn would crawl over to the briefcase, grab it, but it would be too late because Seth would run over and curb stomp Finn's head on the briefcase, then cover him for the win. So Seth is still your World Heavyweight Champion, and after the match, you will see Finn look at Priest, and Priest will look at Finn, and again, we're starting to see the disintegration of the Judgment Day. I can see Finn blaming Priest for losing this match. And Corey Graves, he said it perfectly on commentary. Corey said, nope, this is not Damian Priest's fault. This is Finn's fault. Finn should have listened to Priest whenever Priest came down and tried to give him the money in the bank briefcase earlier. The commentary team in this pay-per-view, they were completely on point, literally, literally from every match, but whenever it came down to the important matches, they were really on point, and for Corey to just slip that in, and Corey usually sides with the bad guys, that's kind of his deal, he didn't side with Finn on this, he sided with Priest, because Priest being a stablemate, Priest being the guy that actually said, yo, let's take care of Seth, and then we can handle our business if we got any business later, 
He tried to help out his stablemate, and Corey just making that abundantly clear. This isn't Priest's fault. That's Finn's fault. So now we're going to have to wait and see how the Judgment Day deals with this. It's probably going to be a pick whose side situation. Is Rhea and Dom going to ride with Finn, or are they going to ride with Priest? We're going to have to wait and see on Monday Night Raw, and we're going to have to wait and see who Seth has next in line for the World Heavyweight Championship. But this was a solid match, to be honest. I would say their Money in the Bank match was better than this one. In my personal opinion, this match was just, again, another vehicle so they can uh, go into the disintegration of the Judgment Day. Now, next matchup, the WWE Women's Championship Triple Threat match between Asuka, uh, Bianca Belair, and Charlotte Flair. Bianca would win the match by pinfall when Charlotte would have Bianca in the figure eight and Asuka would come in and spit, well, not spit, spray. Charlotte with blue mist in the face. Asuka would then look to hit Bianca with a roundhouse kick, but Bianca would duck it, grab Asuka, pin her with a small package pin to win the match. So Bianca will become your WWE Women's Champion. This was a solid match. I mean, this had to follow after the World Heavyweight Championship, and it was already like three hours into the pay-per-view, so you could already start seeing the crowd start getting a little bit uh, tired at this moment, so you didn't really get the fanfare that you would want, but this was a solid uh, three-way women's match. Um, the big thing that people was worried about was Bianca Belair, she acted like her knee was hurting, and she was injured with her knee. And they would never ever show you, like, the video of her, like, popping out of the ring and landing on the steel steps. They always, like, showed it from a different angle, but you never really saw it happen. And you just see her just writhing on the ground, holding her knee, saying her knee hurts. And she had to play the heroic person of having medics and officials try to help her up and try to help her move away from the ring, but she played the hero of saying, nope, I'm going to go right back into the ring and continue on with the match. And she got the hero's victory. She won the championship, but that will last only shortly. Because immediately after the match was done, Io and Bailey would run to the ring. Bailey would attack both Asuka and Charlotte with the Money in the Bank briefcase, and Io would chop block Bianca and her hurt knee. And Io would cash in the briefcase, hit Bianca with the moonsault, cover her, pin her, and now Io Sky is now your new WWE Women's Champion. Now, as Io's in the ring, she has her belt, she's hugging Bailey. they're having this nice uh, moment. Uh, Dakota Kai, she would come into the ring and she would celebrate with Io and Bailey. We have damage control all together here. Dakota has been out. I believe with a torn ACL and I don't think she's anywhere near ring recovery, like ring shape to get back in the ring from that uh, tear that happened in May. I think she just didn't want to miss this moment for her stable mate and one of her friends to become champions and she wanted to celebrate it with her. So to have damage control here, and this is literally one whole year after they debuted last year in 2022 and for EO2B on the top of the world, that's a great feeling for EO, and that's a great feeling for damage control. Even though I have to say this, last year we thought the purpose of damage control was for Bailey to become the champion and for uh Dakota and EO to become the women's tag team champions and Dakota and damage control just basically 
uh, run WWE. That's not how it planned out. Dakota and Io, they won tag team titles, but Bailey, she just never was able to win uh, singles gold. And Io is now on top of the world, and now you have Bailey there by her side, and now we're just waiting on Dakota Kai to get herself fully uh, rehabbed and uninjured to see where Deb's control can fully take this into the future. But as of right now, Io Sky is your new WWE Women's Champion. Congratulations to Io. And now we know Io more than likely is going to be facing uh, Bianca or Asuka for that championship because Asuka, she has a rematch clause and also Bianca has a rematch clause. So it's going to be tricky seeing how that goes, but I'm going to be watching. Now off to the real main event, the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship or shorter WWE Championship match and it's tribal combat, which means no holes barred. You had Jey Uso going against Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman in his corner. And ladies and gentlemen, Roman Reigns is still your undisputed WWE champion. Thanks in part to Solo Sokoa, as usual, interfering in this match. But the betrayal of Jimmy Uso. And I'll get to the betrayal of Jimmy Uso in a minute. The weapons that were used in this match were kindle sticks, steel steps, chairs, a strap that, if people remember, this was the same strap that Jimmy and, no, not Jimmy, Jay and Roman Reigns used in their Hell in a Cell match in the I Quit match in 2020. The exact same match, Jay brought that strap back here. They used that, and they used um, tables. They used four, to be specific. The first table got smashed by Jay Uso, who put Roman through it with a Samoan drop from inside of the ring to the outside of the ring. The second table would get smashed by Solo, who smashed Jay through it with a spinning Solo while Roman and Jay were fighting in the crowd. Solo would pop in out of nowhere, like forearm Jay behind the head, and then he would hit it with a spinning Solo through one of the tables in the crowd. Third table would get smashed. Uh, by Jay, who put Solo through it, and it was the commentary table. He would hit Solo with a Uso splash off the barricade, and that would put uh, Solo down. And the final table would be Roman Reigns. He would put Jay through that table, and that table was in the corner with the spear, and Roman would cover Jay to win the match, and that's how he retained the WWE Championship and the title as Tribal Chief. Now, this is where we get interesting here. Because in this match, there was a moment where Jay actually had Roman beat. Where you saw Jay hit Roman with the spear. And then hit him with an Uso splash. He gets the one. He gets the two. And then that's where you see a figure pull Jay out of the ring. And the figure's covered in black. Black pants, black hoodie, the hood's up. You just see the back of the individual and the individual slowly turns around, unmask themselves, pull the bandana down, pull the hood off, and it's Jimmy Uso. Jimmy is looking at Jay. Jay starts looking up and sees Jimmy, and they just look at one another. And then you see Jimmy just superkate Jay right in the head, and then he throws him right into the ring, and then he just starts... Walking away, Michael Cole and Corey Graves 
are having a ball at this. Michael Cole is saying, why, why, Jimmy, why are you doing this? Why, why, why are you helping Roman? And Corey is just befuddled at this. And once the match is done, once Roman wins the match, you both hear from both Michael Cole and Corey, they both said they are disgusted by Jimmy's action towards Jay because they know the story. They know that when Jimmy got beat up by Solo and Roman a month ago, Jay was the one coming around trying to get payback on Roman and Solo every time that he could get his hands on him. He was putting hands on both of them for Jimmy. He was literally Jimmy's ride or die. He literally turned his back on Roman and Solo when he didn't have to. He could have just said, Jimmy, you're out of the bloodline. But he ride with his brother and he said, we're together going against Roman and Solo, the bloodline. He did all that and for his guy to betray him, for his own twin brother to betray him, you just saw the disgust and you heard the disgust in Corey and Michael's like commentary and it was great it added something to the match and the match was already straight um but now you can tell where this thing is going um another interesting note before i do get out of here solo sokoa solo he got speared inadvertently by roman in this match because roman and solo were going to hit their spear and Samoa spike on jay and Jay would move out of the way. Roman would spear Solo. And later in the match, as Jay is down outside of the ring, Roman is down. Solo is close to Roman. Roman starts trying to tell uh, Solo to do something. Solo just looks at Roman and he just hard body stares at him. And I mean hard. Roman starts getting up. He's holding his ribs. He looks at Solo and he looks at Solo's thumb. And he looks at Solo like, you're not going to do what I tell you to do. You're not going to, you're not going to follow what I said. And then Solo just says something to him. And you could tell that we're starting to get dissension between Roman and Solo. So we can start seeing the legit disintegration of the bloodline as a whole now. It seems that Roman is probably going to be on his own because after the match was done, Solo didn't walk beside Roman at all. As a matter of fact, Roman didn't call for Solo. Solo was still down. He was a little bit sit up at the moment. The camera angle caught Solo and Solo was just looking. Roman would roll out of the ring. He would start walking and Paul Heyman would walk. Paul Heyman didn't say nothing about Solo and Roman didn't say nothing about Solo. So it seems that that bloodline is literally disintegrated and everybody is going to be about themselves. Uh, Roman's going to be still doing his thing, calling himself the tribal chief. We're probably going to get Solo probably still be with Roman until they actually get their big uh, mega power, like bus combustible situation between the two. And now we got Jay and Jimmy were building towards that rivalry there. And people were complaining, saying, oh, my God, this is stupid. Why are they doing this? Well, let me give you guys a little back door situation here. Um, I don't know if people watch interviews. I do. They did an interview with Ariel Hawani last month, like I believe a day before they went against Solo and Roman at Money in the Bank. And in that interview, they were asked a question about have they ever thought about 
competing against one another. And they said they have thought about it and they actually pitched it. And they said they want to do it like at WrestleMania. So this could probably be the steps towards that. We're already in the eighth month of the year, ladies and gentlemen. WrestleMania is literally around the corner. If you mean to tell me they're able to build this bloodline whole deal for the last three years, you mean to tell me they can't find a way to make Jimmy and Jay not touch one another like in a one-on-one capacity until WrestleMania? You don't think they don't have the ability to do that? I think they can. I think they'll find some little sneaky ways to always have Jay uh, try to get at Jimmy and Jimmy just weasel out of the situation or Jimmy will rekindle his relationship back with either Solo or Roman to kind of hide himself behind Jay. I can see all that type of stuff happening. So as of right now, we have to wait and see what they're going to do with Jay, Jimmy, Roman, and Solo. But as of right now, I'm still thoroughly impressed with what they are doing with the bloodline situation. And I just want to see how they're going to really cap it off and see what they do with all four of these individuals. Now, having said everything, I would like to mention that I was right about everything except for two matches. I thought Ricochet was going to beat Logan Paul. That didn't happen. And I thought Finn Balor was going to become the new World Heavyweight Champion. That didn't happen. But all the other matches, I got right in my predictions. So I did pretty well on this pay-per-view. Now, after patting myself on the back, it's time for me to get you guys out of here. Um, this has been my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. Please have a safe day. Also, if you did not get a chance to listen to my Sunday episode, uh, go ahead. Have a listen to it. It's episode 136. Go listen to it. It should be out right now. But with that all being said, I love you all. And you'll hear from me again later this week.